Welcome to the FootballCoachesCorner.com podcast, where football coaches come to collaborate. On today's podcast, we have a guy who uh, my kids would consider to be Twitter famous, and that's uh, Jake Kimmerman, the uh, offensive line coach at Grayson High School. Coach, how are you today? Doing well, Coach. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing really good, really good. Yeah, I was uh, uh, tickling with my kids about the number of followers, and we were looking at all these things, and I said, they said, oh, you got to be, you got to have about 4,000, 5,000 followers to be Twitter famous. And I said, well, this, hey, this guy's Twitter famous, so. I don't know exactly what that means quite yet, but we'll we'll figure it out. So well, I don't know uh, what it means either. But... <laughs> well, I, I know that uh, you're a guy who's willing to share uh, a lot of the stuff you, that you that you talk about, and uh, we're just we're just uh, happy to have you on our podcast today. And uh, for the guys who don't know much about you, can you give us a little bit of background information? Uh, maybe your you know just uh, kind of your background story in coaching and uh, your experience as an offensive line coach. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I grew up down in uh, South Georgia, um, Southwest Georgia. I'm from a little small town called Dawson. Um, and I actually went to my whole life, I went to little small private schools and everything. Uh, so I didn't really get my first taste of like, I guess you could say, you know, big time football or whatever uh, until after I graduated college. Um, I went to Georgia Southwestern State University down in uh, South Georgia. And so uh, following that, you know, I, I helped around my high school and everything while I was in college, um, but it was just a, a small single-A private school. And then so after after I graduated college, I was fortunate enough to land a job at Northside High School in Warner Robins. Um, if you don't know much about Georgia football, Northside uh, over the last 20 years is one of the winningest programs in the in the state. Um, we we won the state championship my first year there, which was a really cool experience. Uh, I got hired on as a, as a social studies teacher and the ninth grade offensive line coach. Um, and so that's where I really started to kind of figure out how this whole coaching thing works for real. Um, because, you know, being in a program like Northside, I was fortunate enough to learn from some really smart guys and not just the X's and O's things, but program development and organization and practice planning and all that stuff like that. Um, and so that that was very beneficial for me. I spent two years there as the ninth grade offensive line coach. Um, then I spent the next two years as the varsity offensive line coach. And then my fifth year, um, I was the offensive coordinator for the ninth grade team. Um, so I spent five years at Northside High School, and um, then I got a offer to come work with uh, head coach Adam Carter at Grayson High School. Um, and Grayson is is uh, I guess you could call it a national brand. Um, they were coached by Mickey Kahn for most of the early 2000s, and he kind of built the program up. And they won a state championship 2011. They won a state championship in 2016. Were actually crowned national champions in 2016. Um, and so they started to, you know, they become become a national brand. So um, I knew Coach Carter from uh, our region. He was the defense coordinator about Austin High School. They were in our region, so we we went back and forth with them. Um, for several years while I was at Northside. Um, he needed an offensive line coach, and so I had the opportunity to come on over, and I spent the 2019 season there as uh, offensive line coach at Grayson High School, and uh, it's, it's been it's been fun, man. It's been a good year. It was kind of a, it was definitely a change of scenery for me uh, moving from Warner Robins, which 
compared to my hometown, it's a big town, but realistically it wasn't like super big or anything. It's about 75,000 people there. And then moving up here to Grayson, which is near the metro Atlanta area, where there's, you know, there's a million people in Gwinnett County alone. So Exactly. Uh, it's a change yeah. of scenery. Um, and, and we took a step up in terms of classification in Northside. We were a 6A school while I was there, and Grayson's a 7A school, which is the largest classification here in Georgia. So that's kind of just a quick rundown of, of my, I guess you could say, background. Um, I take a lot of influence from guys. Like Sam Pittman, you know, who is at Georgia. Uh, Herb Hand has been a guy who I've been able to reach oh, out yeah. to a few times and help me with some things. Um, you know, he pops up in the high football chat every now and then. Um, but Charles Bentley and his his organization over there, Offensive Line Performance, have been a huge influence on me uh, in terms of how I coach things and how I teach technique now. Um, and so and, – and, there's kind of a little crew of us on Twitter that, you know, those are kind of some of the principles that we abide by. And so we, we are able to bounce ideas off of each other a lot of times. So it's that using, you know, we kind of talked about Twitter earlier, using Twitter as a tool to learn has been extremely helpful for me. And um, I'm just fortunate enough to be able to reach out to people whenever I have a question about something or I'm trying to look for something on film. I'm fortunate enough where um, I can, pose a question out there or reach out to folks and I can usually find what I'm looking for, which has been tremendously helpful for me, but also for, for some of the guys I work with too, if they need me to find some things as well. So Twitter has been a great tool for me. I know some people kind of have their second thoughts about it, but I've, I feel like I've, I've gotten better um, because of the people I've met through Twitter. Well, I think, you know, you, you mentioned Herb Hand and, and Latrell's Bentley and those guys, those guys being at the, the level that they're at and their willingness to share and communicate with 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 high school coaches, with middle school. Co- I mean, I think that's just that says a lot oh, yeah. about those guys and what they're willing to do. I mean, they want they truly want the game to be a better game as opposed to you know just kind of showing people what they know. I like things that when when people share ideas, I think it just makes us it makes us all better. It makes us question, you know, okay, why are we doing this as opposed to with this guy? I, I joined this. The Charles Bentley's website a, a couple of years about about a year and a half ago I think and and man just looking at some of the stuff you're thinking to yourself I've been doing this for 25 years and why were we doing this this just makes so much more sense you know the biomechanical parts of it and I just it just makes a whole lot more sense and then when you go out on the field and you start talking to your kids about it and and, and they're kind of looking at you like well I've always been taught this 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 and this since you know since the first grade. And and we're like, well, get comfortable. Everybody's not a cookie-cutter stance. Everybody's feet are not in the same spot all the time. Your body's exactly. different than this kid's body. It, it makes a huge difference. And sounds like you were able to be around some guys, like you said, uh, from a program development practice planning. I think that's one of the things that, as coaches, we're always trying to figure out. You know, X and O's, obviously X and O's, that, that's the sexy thing, and that's the thing that sells, I think, sometimes. But as a coach – being around people who know how to develop a program and who know how to be as efficient in practice planning and things like that. I think that's uh, you, you, you've got a huge head start and a lot of guys your age, and so, so that's a pretty neat thing to hear. Uh, how many kids are in your school at, uh, at Grayson right now? Uh, at Grayson, we have a little over 3,100. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's, you know, pretty that's big school. That even, we're, it, took, it took me a while to get used to this year and I'm, I'm kind of still getting used to it honestly because even though Northside is only one classification below Grayson 
Northside had about 1,800 kids. And so even though I'm only moving up technically one classification, the population is almost double. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. I, you know, that's something that took me a while to kind of really get a grasp on. It's like, man, I'm, I'm moving up only one classification, but the number of kids is almost double. Um, and so yeah. that that kind of took a while to get used to. And I, I guess I didn't realize <laughs> I guess I didn't realize how many kids, 3,000 kids really is running around. That's a lot. I mean, you know, in North Carolina, we're kind of. We're kind of behind the the I guess the, the the eight ball a little bit in terms of numbers. You know, we only have four classifications, and and the smallest school we're we're just one through four A. So the smallest school in four A could be around fourteen or fifteen hundred, and the biggest school in four A could be three thousand. So oh, you're wow. talking about yeah, you're talking That's about huge a huge difference. difference in there. Now they do subdivide it when it comes time to time to for playoffs and in football so that you know that makes a difference but still you know you're in a conference and and you have 1500 kids and everybody in your conference has you know 2000 to 2500 that's a it's a tough yeah they got you know, way more big difference school, yeah so but we don't you know we have some schools that have ninth grade teams you're talking about that so uh how many kids you would you say you have in your program total um at Northside, typically if you go 10 through 12, we would usually roll for anywhere between 100 to 120. Um, and then typically on the ninth grade team, we had anywhere between uh, 40 to 60 uh, on, on some years, probably right around closer to the, the 50 mark. Um, and here at Grayson, the numbers are actually are actually pretty similar. Um, we, we're hoping to have a few more kids in the program this year. Um, our numbers were actually kind of small last year. Um, you know, we went through a coaching change. Everybody on the coaching staff was brand new. And so, um, you know, we had some kids who decided that they maybe wanted to go somewhere else, maybe didn't want to stick around with a new coaching staff. So, but we kept, we felt like we kept the kids, you know, that, that were good for us, that wanted to be around us. And so we're hoping yeah. to have similar numbers this year, you know, have, hoping to have around 120, 10 through 12, and then somewhere between the 40, 50, maybe even close to the 60 mark for the ninth grade team. Um, that would be a, you know, the 60 number, that would be a good number, but probably closer to oh, around yeah. 40, 40 or 50. Um, so numbers are actually kind of similar, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that's nice. And, and you mentioned the, which is a topic for another day, kids leaving and kids staying. The, the biggest thing, you know, I've always felt like is if, if kids want to be around us good, if they don't, then I agree with them. That they need to probably go somewhere different because there's a lot of different things that change, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, all right. When I, you know, I use this is the part where I usually say, "Hey, man, if you're, you know, you're stuck on a deserted island, uh, what one run scheme would you have?" But I think we pretty much know that, right? <laughs> what yeah, run scheme yeah. you would have? So uh, that's not too uh, much talk, of a mystery for people who follow me. There you go. There you go. Talk to us a little bit about. I guess uh, the big question is why wide zone as opposed to some other things. Just talk to us uh, a little bit about that. So, I mean, I like wide zone for a number of reasons. Um, it's, it's a scheme to me that it, it doesn't, it, it can be run out of a variety of formations. You can be under center. You can be shotgun sidecar, which is a term I used to describe the back, right beside the quarterback. You can be in the pistol. Uh, you can be, uh, like I said, I formate, whatever you want to be. You can it fit into any system really depending on what you want to do. Um, you know, outside of maybe something like a like a wing tee or a flex bone offense, but um, it, so it's 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 um, capable of being run out of a variety of different offensive sets. 
and it is and it is capable of attacking a variety of different defensive fronts, whether it's an odd man front, whether it's an even man front, three three stack, three four, four two, whatever it is, wide zone is capable of attacking a lot of these different fronts and taking advantage of what the defense gives you and how they react. Because the idea of the play is to stretch the front side of the defense, all right, and then cut the back side off. So you have you know, that clear running lane. And so if you can get that principle down, it really doesn't matter what defensive front you're running at. Um, now, obviously, there are things that teams could do, you know, if they really just want to stop wide zone. But then, you you know, if you're smart, you'll have things to kind of come off with it. And um, we can kind of maybe talk about that later. But for us, that turned into GH counter this year when teams started to overplay our H back, uh, expecting wide zone coming to the H, we would run GH counter away. Um, and it, that really opened up some lane force in the second half of the year. So it's something you can run out of a lot of different sets. It's something you can run to attack a lot of different defensive sets. Um, it's a it's a play that can hit on the perimeter. It is a play that can get you downhill. Um, like I said, just kind of depends on how the defense plays it, right, whether you can um, reach them or whether you want to take them and run them the sideline. So it's a play that can hit right down the pipe. It can get outside. Um, there, it's a play that has a variety of different complements to it, whether that be uh, bootleg or uh, counter coming back the other way like we use. Uh, you can run, you know, your RPOs off of it if you do it at shotgun. Uh, there are a few other varieties of stuff. So I think it's just an extremely versatile play. And because of that, you don't have to spend so much time coaching, all right, this is how we block it against a 4-3. This is how we block it against a 3-4. This is how we block yeah. it against a 3-3. Obviously, very rule based. Yeah, right. But it's it's rule based, and so once you get those rules down, um, you don't have to spend, you know, two hours each week or whatever teaching your offensive lineman how to block it against the new front. Um, and so you can really focus on the technique, um, which is that's that's what makes the play go. Is once you get the rules down, then you can start focusing on the technique, and that's what makes the play uh, really take off, in my opinion. Well, and I think, like you said, the the, the versatility of it, uh, you know, it can be an outside run play. It can be uh, a B-gap play. It can be a cutback. You know, there's a lot of different things it can be. And, and right. so to a, to an opponent, you know, they're seeing, all right, this time they're they're reaching us and they're getting outside. Next time they're he's putting his foot in the ground and he's cutting backside, you know, we're, you know, you got to try to figure out how to scheme it up. So everybody's talking about how to keep their plays, their playbook as limited as possible. But with, I guess, more more variety, more options, like you said, you know, you can go pistol, you can go under center. Uh, what are, what do y'all mainly base out of, or y'all do you do a lot of different things? Uh, so we of, we did a we did a few different things. I guess you could call us a pro style spread. I mean, we're primarily in the shotgun and the pistol, um, and we kind of went through we kind of went through a few a couple of different phases this year. We um when I guess you could say when we were a hundred percent healthy. Uh, we had three or four wide receivers that we felt like were pretty strong. And so we would, we would kind of spread things out a little bit more. Um, but we had, we went through a little phase about the middle of the year where, uh, one of our receivers went down. So at that point, kind of, you know, we went through a phase in the middle of the year where we were a little more, you know, tight end, H back, two receivers, right? Um, yeah. so we did a little bit of everything. Uh, like I said, I guess you could call it pro style spread or, or whatever, but we're predominantly in the shotgun and the pistol and, um, we predominantly ran our our wide zone from pistol, um, and so when you do when you do that, you got to have some things to come off of it. So it's not you know oh they're in pistol here comes wide zone. Um, so we would do yeah. a variety of things out of pistol set too, you know, including 
bootleg, uh, play action, uh, inside zone, counter, and, and a few other different things uh, from the pistol set, too. And the nice thing about it, too, is is although you're talking about uh, having to change your your personnel a little bit, that does not affect your guys up front. And that's, no. that's the nice part about it is, you know, their rules are still their rules to them. They probably don't care whether you have – whether you're in 10 personnel, 11 personnel – you know, it's not going to change a whole lot of things for them. It's going to change a little bit, obviously, to the tight end side. But you know, right. I think that that's where you know things. We saw we saw uh, uh, more four eyes this year, I guess, than you know the, the, the what everybody's calling the tight front now. Uh, yeah. You know, which is which is is tough on the inside zone. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. you know you're you're searching for that B gap and and versus those uh, those those four techniques or four eyes, it's it's a tough run. So. Uh, that's why we've invested a lot more time in the off season and looking at outside zone. And the more and more you get into it, you know, you hear people that talk about, you know, you can't date it, you got to marry it, you know, you got to spend a lot of time with it. And uh, you know, and I think that's true. But I also think, you know, you have to have things that come off of it. Uh, you know, I agree. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. So, uh, what do you teach your your O lineman in terms of? Are you guys the uncovered covered principles? Is that what you teach? Yes, sir. So the covered uncovered is really like the first principle we start with in terms of rules, because uh, that's going to let you know who you're working with. Um, so if you're if you're uncovered, then you need to be thinking that I'm I'm going to go work with my playside teammate. Um, so if I'm the right guard and I'm uncovered and we're running at wide zone to the right, then I'm going to go and help my tackle. I'm going to work in combination with my tackle to whoever it is that we've been designated to be combo to. And so the covered uncovered is really the first, I guess you could say, principle that we teach in terms of the rules. All right, let me ask you a question. This is a debate that a lot of people have. All right, so so you're uncovered. So let's say you're 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 the, the, the right guard. You're gonna help with your your right tackle. Do you do you tell your, your guard to watch the near knee or what do you tell your guard to watch in terms of when he's taking his his steps? Uh, yes, and, sir, and obviously so, getting in his sight line. Yes, sir. So that's we use near knee, near hip, uh, kind of that okay. just general area. Um, and we, you know, we work we work some drills that kind of put them in those situations, and uh, we slow it down at first, take it take it pretty slow. Um, and so we'll tell them watch that near knee, near hip. If that near, you know, if that near knee comes to you, you need to be expecting to overtake. If it goes away, right, you're going to work your one, two, three. And if he if he continues to go away, you're going to climb. Uh, if he just kind of sits there in the gap and tries to kind of two gap it, we work a technique where we call you got to basically got to throw him out the club. You're going to shove him off. Yeah, right. Exactly. You got to define the read. You've got to define the read for the running back because if that four technique or tight five or whatever he is, if he's just sitting there on the tackle, he's trying to hold both gaps. The running back doesn't know what to do, and so you as the uncovered guy, you need to define the read. Right, throw that guy out the club. You know, just and it doesn't have to be super drastic or anything. Right, depending on how strong you are, but uh, give that guy a shove. Right, so the tackle can torque his hips and and then help better define the read for the back, so the back knows that he needs to cut it up inside. So we'll use the near knee, near hip as a coaching cue in terms of when to overtake or when to work to climb. Yeah, I mean, you th- like you said, if you got a four, you need to keep him a four or make him a five. It right. gives that guy a lot, a lot easier to read for yourself. All right, now um, backside. This is where a lot of people are, I guess, different because you know, I've uh, read books and looked at articles and stuff. And obviously, uh, you're you're playing by the same rules we are, uh, National Federation. So you can't take off running 
and cut guys. So talk to us a little bit about what, what how do you, you know, put you, you talked about driving that stake in the, in the defense to having that, you know, to, to, to cut off the backside. Talk to us about how you coach that a little bit. Right. So we, I mean, we can cut, you know, any player that starts in the, in the, in the free blocking zone, you know, which is like, like a defensive lineman, we, we can cut them, but, you know, not somebody yeah. like a linebacker. Um, so, you know, I tell them if, if you need to, if a defense, if a defensive lineman, you can go ahead and cut him down. Um, but if you're trying to get up to that next level, right, if you don't, maybe you don't feel like you can cut him. The aiming point that, um, that I use to coach our guys is you want to try to get your backside hand down their sternum. Right. Okay. And so you want to, you want to drive off your back foot. You want to put force to the ground and set your hips on whatever angle that is necessary in order to, uh, get your hips on that angle to be able to put your backside hand down his sternum. Um, so that's kind of the landmark I use for them. Um, like I said, if it's a defensive lineman, we'll go ahead and we'll try to cut him down. Uh, but if it's the linebacker, we're going to, or, you know, if you feel like you can't cut him, we'll try to get that backside hand down the sternum. And so that's what we use to kind of set ourselves on our angles in terms of getting those guys cut off. Yeah, I keep seeing these guys that talk about, you know, taking three steps and then cutting and doing all that. And, you know, we're, we're like you said, in, in the free blocking zone, we're good as long as the initial movement is to put that right. stake in there and to cut him. And the, But that, that's tough sometimes because you're, you know, you're asking a guard sometimes who's not as athletic, uh, you know, to cut that linebacker off. But I think the things that kids – need to understand is use their momentum against them. You know, if they got a guy who's right. a fast, slow guy trying to get out there, you know, you're trying to cut him off on, on, on his backside and just basically shield him, let him overrun the play. You know, and then the rest of it's up to your to your running back to make everybody look right. Right. And, I, and ideally we'll no, try ahead, to help sorry. ourselves out with um, what we call what we call making a point man. We'll try and help ourselves out by giving us, you know, advantageous angles in terms of who we're going to as an offensive line. Right. Which makes sense. You got the biggest thing about it is getting those guys running the the lateral stretch you get from this play is uh is the thing I think that, that this you know and I think you've gotta you gotta have a running back and I wanna get to that a little bit too. Uh you know, you gotta have a running back who's how do you guys coach your running back like his path and just what are some some coaching points that you talk to them about? Right. So another good thing about wide zone is you don't you don't have to have a stud running back for this play to be successful. Now, fortunately for us, we had two of them this past year, and we got one of them coming back. So that always makes things look pretty good. Um, but the main thing you need out of your running back when you're running wide zone is for them just to be decisive. Just make a decision. Um, you know, we give them we give them a one cut rule, right? And you get one cut and then go. Um, you can't sit there and, and be indecisive in terms of what you want to do. And so for coaching the running back, first things first, the aiming point is the butt of the tight end. All right, if there's not a tight end, it's a ghost tight end. And so that's the aiming point. And, again, when, I, when I'm talking about a, a lot of this stuff, I'm basically referencing, like, if we're, if we're in a pistol set. Um, yeah. Things change slightly if you're, if you're sidecar, if you're coming from beside the quarterback. Um, but, but you want to aim – for the butt of the tight end, there's no tight end, ghost tight end. And for a lot of guys, kind of, you know, their initial steps can be a little bit different, right? Some guys are faster than others. Some guys have longer legs than others, whatever it is. But as long as they're setting their shoulders and their hips on that path to the tight end, they're they're fine. Um, and then it's the quarterback's job to get the ball to them. Uh, and so from there, what we teach the back is 
your first read is the second defensive lineman past the seam, all right? And he's going to tell you whether you're going in or out, all right? If if he gets reached, okay, if he gets reached or he goes in, then you go out. It's, it's that simple, right? It's that simple. If he, if he gets reached or, or goes inside, you just stay on your path and take it outside. If he decides that he wants to try and fight that reach block and continues to run outside, 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 all right, now your eyes go to your second key. And the second key is the first defensive lineman, head up to pass the center, right? So it will be a nose uh, in, a, in an odd man front. It would be uh, a three technique and an even man front, right, what, or whatever it is you're running against. And so now that tells me where to go next. If he continues to go out, like if he's running full speed, running hard, then I'm going to put my foot in the ground and I'm going to get vertical right now. If he, if he stays inside or he gets cut off, now I can kind of hit it on more of that B-gap path. Um, so, we, you know, it's bounce, bang, bend. Those, that's the old verbiage yeah. uh, Alex Gibbs used to use, right? And so – and the other thing that your backs have to understand, too, and uh, is, you know, you call it a cutback, but it's really not – they're not cutting back. It's really they're just putting their foot in the ground and going downhill. Because if, yeah, as you it's watch it's plays, vertical. Yeah. yeah, get vertical. As you watch plays of wide zone, especially from like an end zone copy, um, the the cutback, quote unquote, is you know really usually going to happen maybe where the tackle lined up at because all the gaps are going to move, the gaps all move, and so your cutback lane, quote unquote, could still be you know past where the tackle initially lined up at. It just kind of looks like a cutback, but really you're planting your foot in the ground and you're getting vertical. Well, you're using the defensive rules against them too. You know, like you said, you've got a five and you've got a three. You know, they're 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 gap control, so they're thinking, and they've been taught all week. You got to make this guy cut back. You got to make him cut back. And so, you know, they will take off running and give you that lateral stretch where you're exactly right. Now you put your foot down, you get straight uphill. You know, and, and now you're looking to press everything down the field as opposed to. In an inside zone scheme, sometimes you see guys that are that are starting off to the right and cutting all the way. You know, just, they just keep bouncing it and, uh, back to the backside and 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 letting the defense catch up with them. I think right. that's a great coaching point is getting getting vertical. Yeah. Um, so if you're in the sidecar, does you talked a little bit about changing? Does it? Uh, what are, what are you telling your running back at that point? Still to attack the the tight end, or a little bit more flat, or what are you trying to do there? Yeah, I mean you're you're going to have to be flat because uh, you got to come across the quarterback's face, so you're going to have to be flat. Um, but you still ideally are trying to follow the same rules and go and go into that that tight end. But um, but I I feel like you know when you run it from when you run it from sidecar, you kind of lose some of that downhill nature of the play. Um, unless you've got a back that's really shifty. I feel like if you really want to run it from sidecar, you need to have a guy back there who's a little more shifty um, because that cut is a lot harder. That's more of a real, true, I guess you could call it cut, because he's basically got to go from almost being horizontal to now getting vertical. Uh, And so that's not an easy cut, um, which is that's part of the reason why I like it more out of pistol or under center because – you maintain that more downhill nature out of things. But, I mean, there are plenty of teams that are successful with it from sidecar. Like, if you if you want to really watch a team that's good at it from sidecar, go watch Oregon. Um, they still do yeah. a lot from the sidecar, but also from the Chip Kelly days, they ran it a lot out of sidecar. So it's definitely something you can do. 
I think you just might maybe need to a back that's a little more shifty um and can and can really make that hard cut from from sideways to vertical. Yeah. How how much did you you kept talking about under center a couple times? How much did you guys spend? Did you guys spend any time under center or or or, did, or is that something we you were looking we to do? We did not in the run future? it from under center. Okay. We were all right. we were all yeah. from the pistol, but yeah. from pistol and under center, uh, where the running back starts and his landmark are are basically the exact same. Yeah. Right, we've been we've been talking about that. Just the some of the things that you get from under center are a little bit different. You know, maybe your 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 boot action a little bit. Maybe some of that stuff might you know might be something that that, that we may mess with in the off season, but I don't know. So. Uh, all right, now and uh, winding up a little bit here, you talked about uh, some some variations. What what do, what do you feel like? You've mentioned counter a couple times. I said, think you said counter counter GH. What do you think some some variations that you guys like to do when you get teams really really run into your outside zone? Uh, right. So yeah. So counter GH was definitely our one our our number one complement to wide zone. And um, for anybody who may not use the same terminology, GH counter, I just mean the guard is pulling. And kick the guards pulling and kicking out, and the H back who's on the same side of him is coming across the formation and leading up on the play side linebacker, and you know yeah. so everything else is just counter. So um, that play was good for us because especially later in the year um, we played some teams that I mean they were really overplaying our uh, our H strength because we our our number one formation we ran it out of was I guess you could call it you know some people call it twenty personnel, some people would call it eleven personnel, but we had basically an H back about a yard behind the offensive lineman, and then we had our running back in the backfield and three receivers. Um, okay, yeah. So that was really the main formation we ran it out of. And so when teams started overplaying to our eight side, all right, I mean, we we would come back with the GH counter because we had a numbers advantage bringing somebody, bringing two guys from the backside. So that was a really good one for us. Um, and with that, you mentioned four eyes earlier in the podcast. When we would play teams that would try to line up in a four eye, instead of trying to, wash that guy down, uh, that four-eye, wash him down with play side tackle, because we, we weren't real big up front this year, honestly. Um, and that, you know, that's another thing I you know, maybe should have mentioned earlier. One of the great things about wide zone is you don't have to have, you know, some maulers up there. Um, we weren't real yeah. big up front. We weren't particularly strong. I mean, we weren't, you know, super weak or anything, but we had some smart kids up there who could move. And so I think that helped us out. But instead of trying to wash that four eye down with our tackle we would just arc it um like we were so if we're playing like an odd man front team we would arc our play side tackle he would go out to the um the c gap threat and then our play our backside guard is now kicking the four eye instead of kicking whoever's outside the tackle so that was a big help for us um and then the other big one off a wide zone for us was uh was our was our um our boot action stuff um, so, you know, you sell, you sell wide zone one direction, quarterback, if that backside end is chasing real hard and the, you know, linebackers are chasing or whatever real hard, you come back with the boot off, boot action off of it, uh, you, you can bring your H back across and slip him into the flat. You can bring a slot receiver kind of on that crossing route, hit him where the linebackers had vacated because they're chasing the back. Um, and you can even take your back and you can put him on a wheel route going out the backside if nobody's paying attention to him off of it. So the boot action yeah. stuff was real good for us. We uh, we hit our H's a few times, and they they got a chance to make some plays for us there. And, uh, we were able to hit a couple of posts off of it too, um, some big plays and stuff. So that 
the boot action was good for us uh, as well in terms of getting something going for our play action. Do you run a lot of Do you run a lot of what people would call I guess split flow, where you put your H to the front side and then you bring him across? Did you run much of that uh, with outside zone to set up your boot? Yeah, action we would on? do some of that. We would do some of that. Um, we didn't do it a ton because we played we played a lot of uh, a lot of odd man front teams this year. And so we felt like we needed that H on the play side to kind of account for maybe one of those those outside linebacker type bodies or whatever who kind of yeah. play in that apex spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we yeah. would do it. We would we uh, we did it. We would do it out of a formation where we actually had two H backs in the backfield and they're on the same side. And so we would take the inside H and we would bring him back across split flow, and then the outside H he would still lead up. And so we would run a wide zone off of that. We would run counter off of it. So now the H's are going in opposite directions and a guard's pulling or we're trying to reach block. And so um, that was something we, we did a little bit uh, this year as well. That's the best of both worlds there. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy run formation when you look at that. And, and if you don't, you know, you can be outnumbered in a hurry. And now the, the nice part about it is you got those guys that can move around and you can do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things pre-snap to get in that formation, or you can do a lot of things post-snap to to get guys at the point of attack. So I just oh, threw that one down. So I, <laughs> I'm stealing <laughs> a little bit from you. So I just threw that one. No, so, not a problem. Yeah. So, uh, well, anything else, Coach, uh, that, that uh, obviously I w- I'd like for you to give your Twitter account so people can get a follow and get in contact with you. Uh, so go ahead and uh, do that if you don't mind. A shameless plug for your Twitter account. <laughs> Uh, yes, sir. So it's, uh, it's at coach underscore Timmerman, T-I-M-M-E-R-M-A-N. Um, and like I said, you know, we're, we're right now, we're kind of, uh, we're kind of shut down because of the coronavirus thing. So, if, you know, if anybody wants to talk some ball or anything, just hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open and everything. I usually try to talk ball whenever I can. Um, you know, and if, if anybody's in the, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee area. You want to come down to Grayson and, and talk some ball at some point? I'd be more than happy to. Um, just just let me know. Like I said, I try to try to learn from as many people as possible. I think God, uh, you know, we've mentioned Twitter a couple times, and uh, I promise you, listeners out there, neither one of us are employed by Twitter. So, uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, you get uh, this is a place where you know a lot of people can can collaborate and talk about different things and get ideas. And, and right now. You're exactly right. It's kind of funny, all the all the stuff going on Twitter. It's like, all right, what games are you going to watch? What things are you going to do? You know, Glazer even did a thing this weekend where they shut the clinic down in Charlotte, the, where we're close to, and then they did a clinic online. And I, you know, we're able to watch some of that. So I think this is a chance for us, obviously, to, to be at home, spend some time with our families, and 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 uh, also take some time to uh, you know, maybe 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 get some plans out for football and just to just to learn things. So I think that's a a big thing right now. So, well, Coach, if that's it, uh, I appreciate your time and uh, and wish you well and hope everything's uh, going well. For those coaches out there that are uh, uh, have any questions, you can obviously uh, hit us up on Twitter at, at FB Coaches Corner uh, and visit our website at www.footballcoachescorner.com. We have uh, some some of the podcasts are on there. We have some free downloads on there if you guys want to go in there and. Uh, take a look. If you have any questions, you can email us at fbcoachescorner at gmail.com. And until next time, coaches, continue to coach with pride, passion, and a purpose. Thank you.